Welcome team, and when I say team, I know there's a lot of coaches, teachers, athletes, trainers, business people. I also know there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that listen. Now, entrepreneurs are some of the most enthusiastic, energetic, content hungry, always being motivated people out there, which means I know, as well as listening to this, you are obviously listening to a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. The reason I say obviously the guy has over 5 million followers listening to his content every day. So so I dare say you are. You're probably one of those people. Now, I, I respect the guy. I think he's a genius. I think he's very, very smart. He's ahead of the game. He's like a ball player who's two or three, four plays ahead and he can take his team down the field and get to certain spots and then have them execute the, the, the play when it matters. I think he's like that. He's always ahead of the game. And and he definitely makes a difference. He cares about making a difference. He he gives a lot of his content for free just because he cares about helping people. But, but, I'm very, very concerned about a piece of content he put out. Uh, and the question came to him. Oh, actually, we're just going to listen to it and then, then I'll talk about what concerns me. So let's listen to Gary V here and then I want to talk about it. And I want to send a message to him, mate. Gary, please, I feel you owe it to people. I feel you owe it to the millions of people to at least, at least make an effort to learn more about the teenage brain and learn more about anxiety and depression and the chemicals of the brain and what's actually going on. Because the question pops up here from a from an interview you did where the, the person actually questioned you about you're a father yourself. You are a father yourself. And the answer you gave is slightly concerning. You probably won't even listen to me, Gary, but if you are, I want you to read the book called The Teen Brain, or I want you to just listen to the rest of my podcast today. But let's take a quick listen. Now, once again, I respect this guy. I think he's great. I've even paid for people to go and listen to him, and I've for staff, and I've even listened to him myself. I want him to buy the New York Jets. I think it'll be a, an unbelievable story. I know he influences people in a positive way, but this one, Gary, for yourself, please listen. And then, if you think about it, maybe try to help the millions of people that listen to you. Let's take a listen to this interview with Gary V. He's posted it just recently on his Instagram. Am I watching the patterns of 14-year-old teenagers who are taking three minutes to seven minutes to 15 minutes to take a selfie, then post it on Instagram, then if they don't get enough likes in the first 20 minutes, take it down and start over? Gary, I'm afraid of that. What are we doing to our young people? No, no, stop over. We're not doing jack shit. This is what's happening. There's no we are doing. This is the reality of human evolution. Like, you're, if this was 1961 and we were doing this, you'd be like, Gary, I'm worried about Elvis shaking his hips. What are we teaching? <laughs> this is happening whether you or I like it. This is what's happening. It's evolution. The end. You're going to be much sc more scared about what's happening in this VR world in 20 years than any of the... You're going to wish for the day of selfies in 20 years when people put on contact lenses and don't come out for a month. Okay, you know what though, Gary? You're a dad. What are you going to do when your daughter is 14 and she's locked in her room, desperate to make selfies and videos that people care about, and when she walks out of the room and says, 
No one likes me in this world. I'm going to say, step up your fucking game. I'm going to say to her, if you're not making stuff that people want to watch, they're not going to watch, darling. That's what I'm going to say. Because that's the truth. And I'm going to say, if you're making... Why does being loved by millions have to be how we define ourselves? I don't know. Tell me. You're putting yourself on TV. I might want to do that, but maybe other people don't. Well, I'm not telling fucking... She has to do that. But if that's the way we're going as a society. What are you talking about? Do you know how many people don't do that? There are unlimited people who don't do social media. I met like 40 people under 30 in the last six months. Like a girl cut in my hair and she's like 25 year old girl in San Francisco during the Super Bowl weekend. I'm like, so what do you think about Snapchat? She's like, oh, I don't have any social media. I'm like, none? She's like, no. I'm like, ever? She's like, nope. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was like, you know, and I was like, tell me more because I was like, ooh, is this a trend that I need to figure out? You know, like, you know, like, and so, and so, there is no, this is what we have to do. There's no difference between her laying in her room in 1984, three-way phone calls so she could sit there and do, it's, nothing's changed, it just gets accelerated and what happens is we get scared because we get old. That's what happens. We get scared because we get old. We get scared of everything that we didn't grow up with. It's what human beings do. I don't. I know that it's evolution. I'm very comfortable in it. I'll always be comfortable with it. I have a six and a three year old now. Nothing's changed on my point of view. And guess what? When something bad happens, my point of view will still not change. I'll be sad that a micro event happened and the data didn't go in our way, but it's not gonna make me say, well now let's shut down evolution. We're gonna shut down evolution. This is what's gonna happen, period. Gary. Gary, you said some things there. You said some things. You have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. Please, please read this book, The Teen Brain, or listen to this podcast with the guest I'm about to bring on. You said a few things. that You, you mentioned you've met 40 people that don't do social media. 40. Well, what about the hundreds of millions that do? And I'm telling you, the addiction is going to scare you when your kids three and six reach that teenage age it is going to scare you you mentioned if your 14 year old daughter was locked in her room you got asked the question if your 14 year old daughter was locked in her room was so addicted to trying to get likes and she's devastated that she's not getting them you said you're going to tell her to lift her fucking game Come on, man. Yes, sure, if you're coaching her to be a content developer and, yeah, you, you, would, that you were right in a way that you could coach her to create content that people want to receive. Yeah, sure. But I think you missed the question there. The lady that was interviewing you was concerned. What are we doing to kids? Now, I'm going to bring on a guest who's going to tell us chemically in the brain what we're doing to kids in particular the teenage brain. Gary, please listen. Please. I know you are so ahead of the game in everything else. You can predict where the world's going, but the chemicals of a teenage brain is not going to change. Everything else is changing. The chemicals aren't. The guest I'm going to bring on will basically ask you, would you give that six-year-old cocaine would you give them heroin would you give them a cigarette 
an addictive substance. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. The question he's asking is, if you wouldn't harm your kids knowing that that drug is going to harm them, if it can be proved that some of the problems being caused with addiction is causing anxiety, depression, and some side suicide, if you knew you were going to harm your child, would you do it? Well, this guy's going to make you think. David Gillespie, author of the book Teen Brain, a must-read for every parent and teacher and coach and business leader dealing with young adults. Must read. I'm going to bring him on now. His name's David Gillespie, and I can't wait for this chat because it relates to also me. I've thrown one out there to Gary V. With all respect to the guy, I think he has more of a voice to help and educate people and get a balance in this crazy world we live in now. I agree with Gary. It is evolution. It isn't going to change. It's only going to get more and more into this space. But I feel we need to act now. David, welcome. Well, thanks, David, for coming on today, mate. Uh, I have a lot of a lot of listeners on this show. They they come on to basically they they're looking to get an edge in in what they do. They lead, they coach, they teach. But this topic today is um, this is more important than anything possibly I could ever cover on this show because this is going to uh, not only help you get an edge in if you are dealing with young people and like myself I, I'm in the, the coaching game and my role as head of performance is to deal with young adults but more importantly David is being a parent uh, I, what we're about to talk about, uh, I've read your book, I've read, it, I've read it twice, I've listened to it on Audible and I've read it and all my other coaching colleagues have already bought the book, The Teen Brain. Uh, this, this possibly, you talk about getting an edge, just get an edge in your own home life and, your own, and, and the people you care about and it, that's where it's going to start for me. I've got, I've got a 13-year-old, 11-year-old and 10-year-old and reading your book has really opened my eyes and also it's helping me understand the the brain of a, a young adult that i work with on a daily well young adults i work with a team of 30 people um at an elite level a very elite level the top of their game but they're also human they're not bulletproof they're human uh, yeah. learning about the brain is uh definitely helping me and i hope i hope the listeners are going to benefit and i must say i've i've got to tell you i'm not going to put one sponsor on this show i my sponsors are usually about helping people as well, but there's nothing that can help my listeners any more than actually just buying the book or the Audible book. Uh, it's made a difference already, so I'm, I'm really grateful to have you on the show, David. And uh, How is the book going, by the way? I, I'm tipping it's oh, going to be uh, a bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It, it's definitely it's, uh, selling like crazy, which is a really, really excellent from my perspective, because the, the reason I write any of the books that I write um, is that uh, they often contain messages which are contrary to the prevailing wisdom about um, the various topics, whether it's sugar or you know vegetable oils or um, psychopaths in the workplace, which you know, or or in this case, around the way teenagers are interacting with technology and how that technology is designed. 
purposely to addict them and what the consequences of that are for those teenagers. So I think it's a critically important topic. Uh, it's one that's very close to my heart because obviously I have six kids of my own. Um, every single one of them is a Gen Z, which is the current um, generation of adolescents who are um, being affected by a radical change uh, in the availability of addiction uh, in our society. And we're going to talk a little bit more detail about that, I'm sure. But um, but uh, it's critically important that as many people as possible know about this. And so, you know, it, it's fantastic that, that so many people are now getting access to it. Well, uh, my, my prediction is this will be the bestseller because every single parent owes it to themselves and owes it to the people they love the most to actually learn about this. So in the intro, David, I talked about yep. there's a there's a really successful, very successful entrepreneur, businessman, uh, author himself. Um, yeah, he basically does everything. His name's Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's he does some really good things. I must say, he uh, he does some very inspirational things. I mean, I think his dream is to buy the New York Jets, and I'm pretty sure he'll probably do it. And that'll be a great story. Like the guy, obviously, very very successful. Um, he predicts what's going to happen in the future in the business world and the technology world, and he's very ahead of the game. But one thing that scares me is a piece of video he put out recently and in this area he's not ahead of the game and I actually I'm I'm not sure if he's going to listen to this podcast David I'm not sure if he knows about mine but I hope he does because I feel he owes it he owes it to his 5 million plus followers to actually share this advice as well because one thing he talks about a lot is happiness like he doesn't care if his followers are making $20,000 or Two hundred million dollars. Like he's got a whole range of people, and he does talk about happiness. But what what he said in this interview, he got asked a question talking about technology and how you know what's the difference between back in the day you having a three way phone call after school, and now it's the same thing, but you're just connecting to thousands of people, and it's the same thing. Like he thinks that's the same thing, and the evolution of the world that's where it's going, and you're not going to stop it, and. Blah, blah, blah. And you're not. You're not going to stop it. But the the interviewer actually said, Gary, if your daughter is 14 years old and she's locked herself away in a room and she comes out all upset because she's not getting any, anyone's liking her content. He, He basically said, and the whole audience erupted with laughter. He said, I'll just tell her to lift a fucking game. And he swears a bit, Gary, that's part of his thing, and, and everyone laughs and whatever. But he says, I would tell her to lift her game. And I guess as a content developer and maybe marketing guy, that that might be good advice to a 30-year-old marketing person. Lift your game, you need to produce content people want to listen to. But I think he missed what the interviewer was saying. If this is your 14-year-old girl and she's locked herself away in a room, now... Could you tell me what chemically what what is going on with that fourteen year old girl at that so, point? Yeah, well, there's going to be a fairly long answer because there's a lot of context to this. But I guess the short answer, the the headline answer here is that girl is beating herself up and and becoming anxious because a piece of software is designed to do exactly that is doing its job, which is she's not seeing the likes, 
the rewards for the things she posts. And that girl is in a highly anxious state, much more anxious than an adult marketer would be who's just figured out that her content's not up to scratch. Um, telling that girl what she already suspects, which is that she is a failure, is not a smart thing to do, in my view. Now, that's the short answer. Let's talk about the long answer, which is what's going on in that girl's brain and adolescents' brains in general. Um, so we've known for quite some time that we have a reward system that is designed to make us do things which increase the chances of there being another generation in humans. Now, that reward system motivates us to do things like eat, have sex, socialise with other humans. Uh, and there's always a risk when, when something is rewarding that too much of it can be too good a thing and it can become addictive. So there's always a bit of a risk with a rewarding thing that it can become addictive. Um, now, we have a control system in our brains which stops that happening. It stops things that are rewarding becoming addictive by making sure that once we receive the reward, our reward system, our motivation is shut down, we relax, we chill out, we've got the thing we wanted. That system, the braking system on our rewards that stops rewards turning into addiction, turns off during adolescence in humans. So uh, as soon as we start puberty, and for about 10 to 12 years beyond that, so for most people from the age of, of 12 to their mid-20s, um, they have an impaired braking system for their rewards. And suddenly, in that time frame, anything that they're exposed to which would be rewarding, potentially rewarding, uh, is has much higher impact and can potentially become addictive. This is something that doesn't occur in children, that is under the, under the age of puberty, doesn't occur in adults who are beyond their mid-20s. It's just during that phase when we shut down that braking system. Now, we shut it down because that's the phase that we're developing the front part of our brain, the frontal cortex, which handles all of our impulse control, our higher-order decision-making, our ability to socialise with others. Uh, all of that stuff that's being developed then has to happen in that phase, and that's why we shut it down. Now, this is where we get to the point of what's going on with that teenage girl. Now, during that phase... Girls, I mean, all women are more susceptible to a hormone called oxytocin, which, is, which humans find rewarding. Now, what oxytocin does is it tells us, uh, it, it rewards us for the company of others. In order to get a boost of oxytocin, what we have to do is go out, meet people, and have them like us. And if they do like us, we get a boost of oxytocin. All humans like that. We all enjoy it. Um, girls in particular are very, very sensitive to oxytocin. So they are much more sensitive to it than boys. And so they are motivated to socialise with other people and do things which have those other people like them. Now, teenage girls have all of that plus no ability to shut down the addiction mechanism. So they are driven fanatically for a desire to be liked by other humans. And the software makers have realised this and created software which simulates that at high speed. Now, it's very, very difficult to get addicted to the love of other people if you have to spend most of your life going out, meeting them, having them like you. That, the frequency is just not high enough for that to turn into an addiction. But if all you've got to do is post a photograph on Instagram and then look at the likes, that's a different 
thing altogether. You can do that at very high speed. It's like having a little button in your brain that you can just keep pressing and, and, and getting that, that dopamine hit, that, that oxytocin hit, all those likes. So I call that kind of software approval porn because it simulates human interaction and approval and it's done at high enough speed that you can, and many girls do, become addicted to it. The yeah. trouble with addiction is that it causes anxiety and depression. We know that about every kind of addiction. This is not just what I'm talking about. This is any kind of addiction. We know that the result of addiction is anxiety and depression. So that 14-year-old girl who's posted her photograph and not gotten enough likes is highly anxious about that fact and is worried to death about it. So when her father says to her, you are not you need to lift your game, you're not doing well enough, that's actually accelerating that anxiety. It's the worst possible thing you could say. The correct answer, in my view, is throw that damn device away and get off Instagram. <laughs> I don't think Gary V is going to do that. If you're listening, <laughs> Gary, let's go over this again. But I recommend, Gary, go and buy this book because I'm just going to try to summarize a little bit of what I just learned talking to you now. And But the best way to do this would be to really dig deep into the book. But you're basically telling me that an adolescent brain doesn't have the brakes. It doesn't yep. have the brakes. So can you tell me what the adolescent age is? What, what type of age are we talking about the brain? So we're talking about from the start of puberty. So the yep. brakes are turned off very intentionally by the body yep. um, at in order to start puberty. So it is from the very start of puberty, which in most... Um, girls is about 11, uh, and in most boys is about 12. So it, it's even before the first signs of puberty. It's, it's when the body gets ready for all of this. And the, and brain, the brain is developing. Over. The brain is developing up to what age? Um, so right through. So it takes about 10 years. So from about then to maybe sort of 22, 23, 24 years of age. And now the outer boundary of Gen Z, Generation Z at the moment, the oldest members of Generation Z are 23 years of age. Um, so that's a useful boundary here. Gen Z are just, the very oldest members of it are now just at the point where their brain is almost done. Yeah, so I, I think I got, the message that I got is, uh, you know, almost up to the age of 25, I think, when I read the yeah. book, uh, is what I, for some reason, I was thinking, but I just wanted to double yep. check that with you. And and the impulse control, you're saying, so we do have breaks before puberty and we have breaks yep. after, but you actually, you don't have the breaks. And that, that, no. that chemical, correct me if I'm wrong, in the book, I think you called that GABA, is that right? Yes, D-A-B-A. Uh, it's got a very long chemical name, but let's just go with uh, GABA. Yep. Um, and it, it's its purpose is, well, it has many purposes, one of which is to stop us going into puberty, which is why it's turned off uh, once we enter puberty, but its purpose is a multi-purpose suppressor of stuff. And one of the things it suppresses is addiction. So it it turns off, in order to motivate us to go and chase something, so there's some great experiments done with rats, they don't like, like doing this kind of thing with humans, um, is... Uh, they disable the uh, dopamine receptors in the brain uh, and, and, and then place food in front of the rat. Now, the rat is starving to death, but the dopamine receptors, which would motivate it to get up and get the food, have been turned off. So it doesn't. It lies there, even though it's hungry, with food within reach, but it will not move to get it. Put the food in its mouth, it'll eat it. Uh, desperately. Wow. Eat it. 
Okay, we will come so that's back what to that dopamine. does. It motivates us. And when we get the food, this garbage is released, and that shuts down that, that motivation down. and says, everything's fine, don't worry about it now. And that's what stops us becoming addicted to things. Gotcha. The trouble is that chemical is turned off during adolescence. During adolescence, okay. And then we will go back. I want to talk more about dopamine. I want to touch on yep. serotonin. But you mentioned oxytocin, which is... Yep the reward of the company of others to be liked. And and That's if you're right. saying we don't have breaks, as teenagers, you, it's very hard to shut it down if you don't have the breaks because we all, even us well, now can't. as adults, we yeah. still love a boost of oxytocin. I think I read in your book, it's the same feeling you get when you pat a dog. You get yes. a boost of oxytocin and the dog receives it also. That's right. So, Not just you, it's the dog too, yeah, so which we, is why dogs like hanging out with us, by the way. Yeah, so we still... <laughs> Everyone still loves oxytocin, not just teenagers, but what, yes. what you're saying is the frequency can be so high through technology. And like, you know, in the past, we wouldn't have the frequency to get addicted to oxytocin, the, but, the, but the frequency is very, very high right now. Is that what you Well, the, di- you know? the difference is that, that in real life, so when you pat your dog, you get a boost of oxytocin and, and, and then you feel satisfied. And, and that feeling of satisfaction is delivered via GABA and serotonin. GABA shuts down the dopamine drive to pat the dog. Um, serotonin makes you feel good for doing it. So uh, I, I guess in, in, in a sense, uh, people might be more familiar in, in terms of sex drive. So people are driven to have sex and then once they do have sex, they aren't immediately driven to have it again. Um, the, and that's because of that effect, which is the shutdown of the drive uh, and and the, the, the good feeling of having done it. Now, in real life, that's the way it goes. You have a drive to get it, you get it, you the, the drive is shut down, you relax. Um, that's the way it goes in real life. Now, with what I call dopamine buttons, which is software designed to simulate these, these addictive or, or these rewarding experiences, that doesn't happen. What happens is they keep hitting the drive button, which is the dopamine. They keep pressing that and driving you towards it, but never, ever deliver the relief, never, ever deliver the, the satisfaction of having obtained it. Now, that, of course, can be potentially addictive at any age, but if you have an impaired ability to shut down dopamine anyway, which is what an adolescent does, uh, then you have no chance. Then you are going to become addicted, and that's why we've known for a very, very long time that people who first become addicted to anything during adolescence are twice as likely to be addicted to that into adulthood. So it is where we are most susceptible to addiction, and it's a very simple biochemical reason for that. The system that would stop us doing that is shut down. Okay, so this this leads us to the the real punchline here when, when we talked about you know, I've used the example of Gary V, and he's, you know, I mean, he had, doesn't even have a 14-year-old daughter, by the way. This yep. The interviewer was saying it. He has a three- and a six-year-old, so maybe he could get yep. ahead of the time here. But what you're saying is the chemical imbalance then, where there is no balance between all these hormones that we like to have and need to have, the yep. chemical imbalance will lead you to anxiety and depression. Now, in the book, the scary stat that I've gathered from learning from... Yep from your work is that since 2007 things like crime and drugs and alcohol are on the decline is that right yep that's and, correct so and so for to give you some specific examples of that 
So all the sorts of things which are potentially addictive behaviours like teenage sex, um, uh, teenage pregnancy, which is an indicator of an addictive behaviour, drug access, alcohol access, cigarette access, um, uh, dangerous, um, so injuries, uh, all of those things um, have halved in incidence since 2007, which is incredible. Frankly, incredible. Um, those things incline. have been going up like, uh, like they're strapped to a rocket for 20 years before that. Um, and then suddenly, in 2007, they go off a cliff, they go in the opposite direction. And when you speak to the, to the specialists in that area, and say, particularly, say, for alcohol, which is where people have, a lot of research is focused, is they say, why, why, is, why are teenagers suddenly not drinking anymore? The answer that they get is we have no idea. We have no idea what's going on. Now, you would say, well, there's a good news story. That's fantastic. Who cares why it's going on? That's, that's incredible. Um, except that the consequences of addiction are not going down. Now, the consequences are anxiety and depression. And you would expect that if addiction is, is halving, so too are they. Um, but they're not. They're not halving. They're not staying the same. They've doubled over the same period which means we haven't cured addiction in adolescence. We've just found a different way for them to become addicted. Okay, so there's the punchline is anxiety and depression is on the incline, the rapid incline. Yes. And anxiety and depression comes from addiction. Yep. And you're, you're basically, I think I've heard you say possibly... I've read it or maybe we've spoken. I'm pretty sure you've said, like, would you give your 10-year-old cocaine or, or alcohol or cigarettes? And the answer is no. So you're basically saying, if you know this is going to cause anxiety and depression and in some cases self-harm, in some cases suicide... Well, those are the consequences. Those are the consequences of anxiety and depression. Wow. You know, the, so we know definitively that the biggest risk factor for self-harm is depression. And we know that the biggest risk factor for suicide is depression. So those are the inevitable consequences of a pathway where we are increasing the rate of both of those things in the population is that those consequences are increasing as well. So we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to ourselves and our kids to take a bit of control here. I mean, I know it's going to be a struggle. Like, I, I, Ideally, after reading your book, I actually want to throw everything away um yeah i know that the way they are at school and life and their their mates and whatever i i know that's going to be hard to do but i need to i need to control this because i mean straight away like i've seen people suffer with anxiety and depression and you wouldn't wish that on anybody no. you wouldn't wish that on anybody so if if you actually know that some of the addictions that can come from these phones can lead to that, then we actually owe it to our and, people and, care and about to, to do something about this. And remember, this is not accidental. I mean, I, I think I want to emphasize this. The software that we are talking about has been explicitly designed to addict. The, the, the programming teams that do this are called dopamine hackers. That's what they're called in the industry. And the reason that it's designed to do this is this software is free. And there's an old saying in the software industry, when the product is free, you are the product. Um, and that's what they're, they're, they're competing with. They're competing with hundreds of thousands of other companies for your attention. Every minute of your attention they get is a win for them. The only way they can guarantee that you will come back and click again is to addict you. 
And the only way they can make that happen is to know as much about the way the human brain works as is humanly possible and make sure that their software hooks up to it and drives addictive processes. This is all very intentional. And that's the problem, is that we are handing this stuff to adolescents at the point in their life where they are most prone to addiction. Instead of addiction being something that only the adventurous few did, which is as recently as 10 years ago, it is now every single member of a generation. And we don't know what it looks like when you addict every single member of a generation. We're seeing, starting to see the leading edge of it with doubling rates of anxiety and depression, but there is a lot worse to come than that. Not just because of the addiction to the software itself, but because of something called the gateway effect in addiction, which is that once you are addicted to one thing, it is much, much more easy to be addicted to anything because it all uses exactly the same pathway, which means that a Fortnite addiction or an Instagram addiction today can easily turn into addictions to opioids and many other things later in life. So, David, there's some, some scary stats in the book about how common is anxiety and, and depression. So, I mean... When I talked about, I've used this Gary V example in the video. Like, he also does some really good stuff where he tells kids, "Do not worry about one like. Don't worry about how many likes." Like, he does try to tell kids that's not what matters. But the reality uh, uh, yeah. is, the addiction and the way that software people have designed this, it, it, well, it, it it's it, going it, to happen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like we were talking about before. It was, if you stand up in front of a room full of teenagers and say, look, all you need to do is just stop being addicted to this stuff. <laughs> just turn off your Instagram, uh, you know, stop playing Fortnite. They'll look at you like you're insane because they might want it. All addicts don't want to do it. Most addicts understand that being addicted is not a good thing. Um, and they don't want to do it. And they beat themselves up every time they do do it, but they can't help it because they're addicted. That is addiction. Uh, so standing up in front of a room of kids and saying, just don't play Fortnite, is the equivalent of standing up in front of a room full of drug addicts and saying, just don't take drugs. It will be just about as effective. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I need you. I definitely need to go there. I mean, I've I've been in teams and successful teams where we, we've actually had to ban the phones so players will talk to each other. Uh, and connect with each other instead of connecting with the rest of the world. Actually, in that moment, connect with each other. We, we've we've had to put things in place. Well, the difference is, and this is just harking back to something you said right at the start about the, you know, oh well, kids have always talked on a three-way conversation on the phones, etc. The difference this time is when you did that on a phone or when you did that in person, the mechanism you you were using to communicate was not watching you and manipulating you. It was a phone. It was just like standing there talking to the person in the room. The medium was not moderating and not monitoring you. When you watch television, it doesn't watch you. When you use a phone, it doesn't listen to you. That's very, very different to what's going on now. Now, when you watch YouTube, it's watching you. It knows when you started. It knows when you finished. It knows what volume you had it at. It knows everything else you've ever looked at in your life to make sure that the very next thing you see is something you are likely to want to see. And exactly the same thing is going on in communications. It is not simply like a telephone where you are simply talking to another person because the medium is watching everything you do and intentionally, as part of its business model, trying 
to addict you. So when you say to a team, I want those phones, I don't want you communicating with the rest of the world, I want you communicating with each other, you're actually saying two things. You're saying that, but you're also saying, I don't want your communication with the rest of the world monitored and manipulated by a company whose business model depends on addicting you to their communication medium. Yeah. Oh, it's... Oh, man. I don't even know what... I just know that I need to help a lot of people I'm dealing with. Um, we try in our teams, like I say, we've come up with things to uh, make sure players can connect. And but I'm I'm starting to get really worried about the actual the anxiety and the depression side because you know part of me is wanted to ask you the question if if you're let's say you're a 20 year old male hooked on Fortnite and. And obviously, losing sleep's going to affect how you turn up to work well, and training. Well, it is certainly not going to help. That's <laughs> not going to help. But yeah. I was curious about can you because dopamine, which we haven't talked too much about yet, dopamine yep. is your motivation drug. I was curious yep. about um, can you chase and chase and chase this dopamine and get this dopamine rush that is constantly yep. having that's obviously not balanced by by serotonin and GABA, as yep. you've explained. Um, yep. Can you chase so much of that that Obviously, lack of sleep will leave you flat the next day. But can you be flattened of it and lack it, or, or, oh, or, or uh, no, you can't. <laughs> Sad thing. Right. So the interesting thing is when they've done exactly that kind of experiments in rats and unethically, I would say, in humans, what they have found is in the rat experiments where they give them something that will give them a dopamine hit every single time. So they attach dopamine uh, electrodes to their brains, stimulating electrodes to their brains. Where they do that, and I give the rat the ability to control access to it by pressing a lever, the rat will just keep pressing the lever, even to the exclusion of everything else, like eating, etc. They'll kill themselves with dopamine. Now, the same sort of thing happens when they've done it with humans. Now, I said it's unethical because you wouldn't get ethical approval for this today, but there have been experiments in humans where they have done exactly that, um, allowed a human to directly control a dopamine stimulus. And the human there gets completely out of control. They know it's bad. They know it's really bad for them, um, but they just can't stop themselves. They're pressing that button hundreds of times an hour just to keep getting that hit. And that's what we're doing every time we put a dopamine button in the form of Instagram or Fortnite or whatever you want to call it in the hands of a teenager. We're giving them something that they, they can't control their access to. They just have to keep hitting it. And the, 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 but the good news about all this, I mean, that's all a very sad and terrifying story, but there's a really good news aspect to this, which is all you need to do to break this is stop accessing it. Because well, yeah, as like... soon as you stop accessing it, your dopamine set points start resetting. Within 24 hours, they're reset to a point where you could probably keep stop accessing it. The, the first 24 hours is crucial. You have to stay away from it then. But within three months, there is no addiction at all. Uh, so it is. this is well-known science, in particular in relation to opioid drugs, which have the same effect, that there's this dope sickness, this acute dope sickness that lasts one to three days. And then it starts to decay over time to by three months, there just isn't an addiction at all. So the easiest cure to this stuff is pull yourself back from it. Do not do it. Every time you do it again, you are hooked back in. Wow. 
Well, uh, well, what I was curious about is if you spent all night chasing dopamine, then you have to go yep. to work the next day and you have to physically train and you, you're doing stuff that in the past is what, you you know, you're playing. Let's say you're playing yep. football, you know, like yep. you're doing what you used to get your dopamine rush from. Do you, do you feel yep. you could turn up flat the next day from or or is it more what I'm probably leaning towards? Is it more the the anxiety that's caused and the depression that can be caused and and the mood changes that would come with that that would then affect performance. So I'm well, look, a, I'm looking from a whole performance raft, side here. Yeah, there's a whole raft of things there. So the the first thing is the direct effect, which is every minute you're not sleeping, you're, you're degrading your ability to perform the next day. The human brain needs eight hours of sleep minimum. Yep. It needs it. This is not something that can be substituted. Uh, it, it's not something that, that that you can make up for with drugs. It needs it. Um, and if you don't have it, nothing works properly the next day. Now, a really excellent way to not get eight hours of sleep is to do something dopamine producing just before you try to go to sleep um, because dopamine stops you sleeping. Uh, you know, it, it, remember its purpose is to get you excited. Yes. Um, and and so if what you're doing at night is 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 playing endless hours of Fortnite or or sitting there on your Instagram or whatever generating dopamine instead of sleeping, then you are not going to sleep. And if you do sleep, you're not going to sleep well. Your brain and your body will not function well the next day. Just just as a consequence of that, forget about everything else. Wow. The other downside to it is that what happens when you're producing all that dopamine, that that constant hitting of the button, is that you are depressing your serotonin levels. You are unable to feel good. This is why serotonin is a con- sorry depression is a consequence of addiction. Um, so you're increasing your anxiety levels. You're decreasing your ability to feel good. Now that might not have a direct physical impact, but it will certainly have an effect on your motivation. Yes, that's the bit affecting the motivation is what. So I've kind of jumped ship here a bit. I've gone from talking about caring about my own kids to now I'm thinking at a performance level with elite world-class athletes, uh, that scares me, that, that lack of motivation that may come from these mood changes. And the, and like well, you say, depression's going to come when your serotonin levels are below a point of no return. You know, it's going to... Yeah. It's uh, it, it's very scary. One one thing you said in the in the book, there's a page where it's how common is anxiety, and it, and it says anxiety is the most common mental disorder in Australia. One in seven people, mm-hmm. one in seven people, suffer from some form of diagnosable anxiety within the past twelve months. And you're telling me that this is growing rapidly. Now, yeah. I've told you I work with. Let's say I have a squad of 30 elite world-class athletes and coaches, and at times I help other people. But that this, let's just put you in the picture. That's my day job. Yeah. So you're to like one in seven. Yep. So I've got a handful of guys, and, and I, I could actually... So I you could got four actually, or five. You got four or five in that squad. I that, could actually that, that. put a case to you that that would be more at elite level sport because they also have to put up with some fans that are horrible, hor- the type of comments, if, if any elite athlete sits and reads comments through their social media feed, like let's say your team's had a loss or or you didn't get that shot or whatever, yep. like the type of stuff they deal with, I think, and, and they're not bulletproof, they're human beings, I think... And, is, and they're addicted to the mechanism that is delivering those comments. Mm. Um, so... 
as much as a, a, a sane adult might sit back and say, well, just don't look at them then, <laughs> yeah. know, which is what you might say, yeah. they can't not look at them. Yeah. They physically cannot do that. They are addicted. And, and that means that you've actually got the addictive mechanism transmitting anxiety all on its own. Forget about the, just the mechanism of addiction. In this case, it's, the, it's actually delivering even more. Yeah, it's it, it it's impossible for them not to f- suffer from anxiety if they're addicted to it. Like yep. you're saying, it's the transmission's happening. Like as we could say as much as we want, don't read it, don't listen to it, don't do it. But like you say, if it's an addiction, like your example of a, yep. a, a drug, a drug that's like saying to a drug addict, don't take drugs. Like they actually have yep. to get on top of this addiction yeah you, you you can't just tell people not to do it they'll nod their head and they'll say sure i won't do it but they will they will the next time they're alone they'll just have a little bit of a look because they can't help it that's the definition of addiction wow <laughs> and and for some things for a lot of marketing things and uh you know there's a there's a lot of business and sport and there's a lot of stuff there where social media and technology has been great like it's helped you know there's a lot of positives for it but this bit is really scaring me because i know that then on a performance level i know that then this anxiety or this mood or this depression that may come from anxiety will definitely affect performance well i mean and uh, paralyze you almost yeah, well, this is your area, especially not mine. But I would have thought that at, at, at elite at an elite sport level, everyone's got the hardware. Meaning, you know, aside from the occasional freak, everyone's got the appropriate hardware to perform well. You know, they, they've got the right muscles in the right places at the right levels. Um, but what probably makes the difference between champions and not champions is the motivation to use that hardware. Um, and and this directly affects motivation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, like the. We can work on, you know, for anybody. I mean, there's some great. There's a there's a guy named Michael Gervais and a and a coach named Pete Carroll out of America. Michael Gervais is a sports psychologist who the the way he puts it is very good. Where he they talk about you can work on your your craft, obviously your skills, your body, and your mind. They're the only three things you can work on. Now, the athletes we work with on a day to day basis, they know what to do and they have the tools to do it. They have the physical tools to do it. But if the mind, and then they really have to want to do it. So if, if the want, if the motivation is all of a sudden lacking, but also one of the tools to be the best is the mind. If, if you don't have that tool right, yep. then, then you know, that, that's a worry for me. So we, we put things in place. We put mindfulness, we put meditation, we put obviously the physical, the skill, there's, you know, you you know, you, you only have to walk in a world-class sporting organisation. They, they've they got every box ticked. But this mind part, we, mm. we are trying to tick it. But the addiction levels are concerning. And, and yeah, so I've kind of gone off on a track there. Of, I'm thinking about my own world, but back on the back onto the parents that are listening. Mm. So, basically, the biology of puberty makes the teen brain fragile. You say that yep. in the book. 
it, it makes the teen brain uniquely fragile. The teen brain is from 12 to 25. Yep. Don't think they're adults. A 20-year-old, you might treat them like an adult, but they're actually not adults. No, um, you, they look like an adult on the outside, but their brains are not done yet. Yeah, and basically you're saying parenting you need to harden up. <laughs> I'm basically saying well, they need it, to read it, your book. It, it, yeah. it, it, the interesting thing is often what people say is, well, you know, they just need to exercise some self-control, which is a little bit amusing because the bit that they are building at that point is self-control. They, they don't have self-control. That's the bit their brain is actually creating which is why they become addicted. So simply saying to someone who has no self-control, has not even got the brain capacity to exercise self-control, you just need self-control, is ridiculous. The self-control comes from the parents. The parents are the ones that need to change behaviour. They're the ones who need to set in place boundaries and they're the ones who need to learn to say no. Um, because it, relying on the children to do it is ridiculous. They simply don't have the ability to do so because it's not built yet. That's like saying to a six-month-old, well, you just need to learn to walk. <laughs> they don't have the ability yet. And the same thing is going on with self-control in teenagers. So for the parents who have... I'm hoping they've listened all the way through here. I've I, I kind of gone off track here and there, but basically I, I, I want to summarise the chemicals. Like, Let's educate... The, the parents, all the teachers, all the coaches out there, talk to me about dopamine. You refer to it as, as our go juice, and serotonin yep. is our chill pill. Yep. And we mentioned oxytocin before and GABA. Let, could, could you just educate us quickly on, on dopamine and serotonin? Sure. Okay, so they're sort of the yin and the yang. Uh, when we, when we want, in our reward system... In order to motivate us to do something which is rewarding, which will help ensure that there's another race, you know, another generation of humans. So the the primary things are having sex, eating, um, drinking, uh, and having the company of other humans. When we are motivated to do those things, uh, we get a shot of dopamine to make us do it. It, it. it gives us the get up and go to chase it. It sharpens up our reflexes, sharpens up our thinking, makes us more intelligent, faster. Uh, and better at chasing a reward. Once we get the reward, uh, we say, excellent, job done, have achieved reward. And the dopamine chase then shuts down because you don't want to keep on chasing because that turns into addiction. You want to stop. And so it shuts down with a chemical called GABA, G-O-B-A, which also releases something called serotonin, which is our reward drug. It, it, it says to us, you have attained the goal. You are rewarded. Here is the reward. And the reward makes us feel good makes us chill out, makes us relax, makes us enjoy the thing that we've been chasing. And what happens is that what addiction does is push the balance out between those two so that we are driven almost exclusively by chasing dopamine and never get the reward. Or if we do get the reward, it's not enough. And if, if it's not balanced, then that's what not balanced, leads to... Then what happens then is we develop anxiety, uh, so you know, a, a fear, a fear, an irrational fear of not achieving the reward, um, and we develop a depression, which is caused by serotonin levels, which are the rewarding part of the system, being too low. So as a general result, we, we have serotonin levels which are far too low. We can't maintain a state of general happiness. Um, and the result, therefore, is this is, just, this is old science about addiction, is 
addicts are anxious and depressed because the definition of addiction is pushing the, the that yin and yang, that balance between dopamine and serotonin, out of whack. So we all naturally, we're wired to chase dopamine. We naturally yep. have chemicals to help us balance that. But, yep. But... And, but th- those chemicals are shut down during adolescence for, for some very good reasons about the bits of the brain that need to be built at that time. Um, normally, in the, in the whole history of humankind, that has not been a problem because it just hasn't been that much addictive stuff available. Um, it's only very, very recently that addictive substances and behaviours and now software have become available to people experiencing adolescence. So adolescence don't have the breaks the the listeners yep. there have understood the names of the chemicals if they want to sit down and explain this to their kids they can yep. they have uh, a little summary there of what's going on in the brain but basically the teenage brain doesn't have the breaks in your book you talk about oxytocin but it mm. not only is it that that pleasure hormone but yep. it it also in this example, you're just talking about seeing yep. someone else gets 200 likes and you only got 100. Oxytocin yep. is also the chemical responsible for increasing envy and gloating. Yes, now, absolutely. That is scary when we're talking about, you know, the young, you know, in particular females, but young males yep. or, or anyone actually. Males but, are not immune to yeah. it. It's just females are more susceptible. So, um, yeah, it, it's a double-edged sword. It, it it binds groups together. So where it's a, a group of people that you are part of, it makes you tighter. Every little hit of oxytocin makes you more tightly bound to the group and its values. But it also makes you extremely envious of everyone outside the group and likely to attack those outside the group. So it can really drive extreme behaviour uh, because it is that double-edged sword. Yeah, so it's, it's making you happy, but it's also making you jealous. Exactly. Yeah, wow. And and it makes you feel happy when bad things happen to other people. Yeah, like this is... good, good German word for that, schadenfreude. Uh, and, and it drives schadenfreude, which is making you happy when other people do badly. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is scary. But anyway, what we've done today, David, I, I am so grateful for your time because, like I said at the start, this is about... You know, my whole podcast series, we'll, we'll have world-class athletes, coaches, leaders. We'll, we'll have people that help people get an edge, but the mind is so powerful in getting an edge. And if we can help our kids, because, you know, there's some athletes I dealt with that never grew up with phones. And that I've never seen any problems in this area before until now. Yep. Um, I've obviously never been a parent of a teenager until now. So it, it's just hitting me right now. Gary V, the story we told at the start, he I'm not sure he gets it yet either because he talks about he wants people to be happy, but if he actually learns about this and knows there's some things he could put in place to help because he's got a three-year-old and a six-year-old, if there's some things he could put in place that can help then, or even understand, then he might be ahead of the game because he's ahead of the well, game one, in so one many of other areas. Parent, one of the things that a parent can, of younger children can put in place is parents of younger children will say, oh, yeah, this is not just teenagers. You know, try taking an iPad away from a six-year-old. Um, it, 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 you know, they'll react badly. They do react badly. They're susceptible to the addiction mechanisms in this software just as much as, as anyone else. 
The difference is that they do have a working braking system and they will get over it very quickly. But what a parent of that child can do is get them used to the concept that the parent makes the rules and when the parent says no, they mean it. Um, because if you want to have the discussion for the very first time ever when that kid is 14 years old and you want to take Fortnite or whatever it is by then away from them, uh, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like you say, they'll get over it quick, but once if it becomes an addiction, then it's hard. You you mentioned yeah. social media exploits the natural human instinct. That We should emphasize that. It's our natural yeah. instinct to seek approval. But yep. what the technology does, it leverages with the teenagers' lack yep. of control. Yep. And and there's so many stories like how this is affecting. The the Fortnite addiction that's out there, um, I haven't experienced it, but I've heard it from friends where it's yep. crippling, crippling their young sons. That, that plays on a different aspect, which is oxytocin for girls, testosterone for boys. So boys, boys love danger, they love risk. Um, and what Fortnite does, and games like it, is is simulate danger. Um, yes. And and that's why boys are more likely to do that, and girls are more likely to do social media. The effect is exactly the same in either of them, but they're just they're just crafted to match the genders. Yes. Yeah, so uh, oxytocin for for we all have we all crave that, but mainly females yeah. and danger and testosterone. We all yeah. have that as well, uh, yeah. but mainly males. Yes. Boys, boys have massive supplies of it. Adolescent boys, massive supplies of it. And those games work on that basis and addict them using that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we could... There's a lot of listeners, I'm sure, that are, are suffering with this because I've heard of some very good friends where they're really struggling. I'm, I'm really glad that is one thing that hasn't been allowed in my household and I'm really grateful for that. But I do know I've got to be aware of other things. For example, I went... I said to my 13-year-old son, come on, mate, let's go watch your brother. We'll go watch him play soccer training, you know, and let's have a kick. Me and you will have a kick while he trains. My son just said, oh, no, nah, it's all right. I'll stay here. And he just stayed on the lounge. He had his phone in his hand, and I drove off. And I was a bit shattered. I was like, in the past, he would do anything to have a kick with his dad, you know? Yeah. Like, he yeah. Would, it's, it's always a time we would have so much fun. And then... And possibly that fun and that that kind of approval with his dad was creating those hormones that he was after. But now he doesn't need to. He just he just gets it off his phone and yep. and that was that really punched me in the face. That was only two weeks ago, and and it just kind of very alarming. I mean, it's not like I grabbed the phone off him and said, "You are coming with me," um, but I did drive off a little bit a little bit disappointed that. That's where things are at, you know, so... Yeah, but don't, uh, you know, my, my only suggestion would be don't attribute to personality what can be explained by addiction. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that will be my suggestion there. <laughs> well, he's really good. I've got to say, they're yeah. re- very active and very good and very in control. And from your book, where there is now a rule and there's a certain time their phones are up. I mean, there's there's things that phones are really good for them. I mean, even there's people listening to this podcast only because of technology. You know, yep. there's there's a lot of uh Oh, and, and, and I great. don't want anyone to take away from this that, 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 you know, all technology is evil. It's not. There's just very specific parts of what is being made available to adolescents 
that are really very dangerous and we need to get a handle on it very quickly. Very quickly. Yep. Because I wouldn't wish anxiety, depression on anybody, let alone my own kids. So, so David, finally, I think we should... I am positive the people that have listened to this realise they actually need to go and read your book because I could talk to you all day because I'm actually learning myself. Um, but people need to read the book. But just to, just to finish this podcast talk to me about your advice you're a parent yourself yep uh talk to me your advice because it's critical this part of the podcast is critical if people don't listen forget about coaching your teams like i am or or your businesses or you know working with young staff like keep working on that keep learning keep researching but parenthood Every day counts. If you don't listen to this, this this part that I'm asking you to finish with, David, is critical. What advice do you have for parents? Well, it's really hard for parents because most parents now are dealing with kids who actually need these devices for school. Their schools have required you to purchase them. The schools uh, have all their textbooks on them. They give them their homework this way. So when you say to a kid, get off your device, the kid can legitimately say but I need it for homework, uh, and, and, and they do. The trouble is that that excuse then is used to, for them to get off to their bedroom with it or wherever else. These devices are highly portable. Who knows what they're doing on the thing? The only advice I can say to parents is you cannot do harm elimination because the school won't let you. you can, harm elimination is throw the thing in the bin. What you can do is harm minimization, which is treat them the way computers used to be treated. Back in the olden days, in the 80s and 90s, computers were big, heavy things that sat in the lounge room attached to the wall. And nobody was going to be doing anything on that computer without everybody else in the family knowing what it was. That's got to be the way you operate with these devices as well. Just because they're portable doesn't mean they should be. Require them to only be used in a public space where anyone could see what's on the screen. You will not eliminate the risk entirely. They will still use it on the bus. They will still use it at school. Their friends will still send inappropriate material to them in the middle of physics. Um, But you are minimising harm and you're taking a big chunk of their day where they can't do addictive behaviour. And the important thing about addiction is that every minute you are not doing that behaviour is giving your brain a chance to reset. Because the brain is developing and setting, and what you've mentioned earlier in the start of this yep. podcast, once it's developed at 25 years old, it's that's it. developed. That's it. That's it. You don't get to redo. Um, you know, that, that it's finished, and the brain you've got at 25 is the brain you've got for the rest of your life. And if you're, if you're addicted to anything... if you build it wrong, you're in trouble. <laughs> it, it, if you're addicted to anything, what's chemically happening when, let's say you're a drug addict and you've gone for some help and you're in some rehab and you're there because you're going to change your life but you are going to go through a period of when you go cold turkey what what is happening and what would happen if like your body obviously resets does it like what would happen if well you the did brain resets so yeah. there's, a, there's a switch in the brain called delta fos b which is an ad- adaptation to a high dopamine environment addiction is a high dopamine environment where you're getting much more dopamine than you should. And delta fos B adjusts to that, just as it, you know, there are other things in the brain where you can, the brain can adjust to a high temperature environment or a high oxygen environment or a low oxygen environment. It has different chemical switches to help us adjust to that. This one adjusts to a high dopamine environment, and it's what creates addiction. 
um, if it's pushed too high, it holds there. Now, as soon as you remove exposure to dopamine, it starts to reset. It decays over time, and it will completely reset after three months. So it'll go from addicted to nil after three months. It, so the, the critically important thing is remove exposure to the addictive substance. And that's what rehab ultimately boils down to, which is remove exposure, cut you off from it. Um, the problem is that if that addiction was acquired during adolescence, many of the pathways, including the set points for things like delta Fos B, have been messed around with. And whilst you could possibly say to an adult who first acquired an addiction when they were an adult, just get off it for three months and you'll be okay, that advice may not work for someone who acquired an addiction when they were a teenager because the set points may have been messed up and, and they may be stuck with the fact that for the rest of their lives, any exposure to this thing may restart the addiction. Right. Right. So if you were to... You're basically saying you can't cut off. I mean, we can't. We, no one will stop this, the phone thing. No. Right? We can't cut off, but you're saying minimise it to then minimise the risk of addiction. Is basically That's right. And, 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 and allow that, that set point, the Delta Fos B set point, allow it to start resetting. Now, yes, I understand that if you give them 12 hours off it and it starts to reset and then they expose themselves, it comes back up a bit. But it's never going to get back to the point it was 12 hours ago unless you let them have another 12 hours of exposure to the thing. So the idea here is minimise exposure to it so that it becomes less and less attractive to the person. Still interesting, still rewarding, but less attractive. And remembering what we're trying to do is get an adolescent through that phase where their body isn't doing it for itself. An adult doesn't have as anywhere near as much of a problem here because they have a system which will shut down that addiction before it becomes addiction. We're just trying to be the adult supervision for adolescents who don't have the biochemistry to do it themselves. Yes, we're actually. You, I, I need you. To, uh, you mentioned something in the book. I can't remember it word for word, but basically, as a parent, you're strapping in the passenger seat. Yep. The L plates are going on. Yep. And and you're just doing your best to guide them through. But you talk to me how you explained it in the book. How so I, I use the analogy of, yeah. of, of, a, of a dodging car, I think. So when, when, when your child is a child um, under, under age, under 18, the, their body, their brain is a dodging car. They're whizzing around, but it's in a confined arena. You've set the boundaries, you've set the walls, um, and you may even ride along in the passenger seat with them, but they can't do too much harm. They can do 10 kilometres an hour. They can bump into things. It's all good. When you hit adolescence, you throw out the dodging car, you hand them a Formula One, uh, with dodgy brakes and a nitro booster, and then you strap yourself into the passenger seat of that and hope they don't hit the wall. And your job is to do your absolute best to make sure they don't. But it just gets infinitesimal. It gets e extraordinarily harder because they're suddenly dealing with a whole new set of hardware, which is a brain which is wired to acquire new experiences at hyper speed uh, and has a braking system that doesn't work. You have to provide the braking system. They will get through it. They will hit their mid-20s. They will become adults. Everything will be restored to normal. They'll be then put into, you know, a nice new Falcon uh, with working brakes. <laughs> um, uh, but during that phase in, in adolescence, when they're in the Formula One car with no brakes, you've got to provide the brakes. <laughs> so they are turbocharged 
with no brakes. Yep. The track's probably a little bit harder now. You're on you're yeah, on a world class right. track. You're not on a little Rodham yep. car track. Yep. And you've got you've got a lot of other cars flying. Oh, and the worst thing about it is yeah. they're hanging out with a lot of other teenagers who are exactly the same. <laughs> so you're on a track with Formula One race cars, none of whom have good brakes. Um, so it's it's a highly dicey environment, and it requires constant vigilance, or they will hit the wall. Yeah. So as a parent, just strap in. Yep. Strap yourself in and do your best to guide them along the way and avoid any forms of addiction. Or distraction, even. Or distraction. You know, one of the other things I say is the other thing that's on this racetrack is a lot of really nice billboards with constantly changing images that are very, very interesting to teenagers. And they might you might find them watching them rather than watching the road. Um, and your job is to turn their heads away from that and back onto the road. <laughs> Keep your eyes on the road. And That's wh- right. And, uh, and while you're driving that da- down that road, you would never, ever take a picture of yourself semi-nude and hop out and ask somebody, hey, what do you think of this? Would you? <laughs> well, no, you remember, but, in but... The 80s when you, you remember in the <laughs> 80s when you used to take nude Polaroids of yourself and walk down the street handing them out to people, didn't you? <laughs> Hey, uh, well, I mean, everyone did, didn't yeah, they? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's the equivalent of what's going on now. And there's a bit of a weapons race going on with it as well, a bit of an arms race in that, you know, that's what's happening when you when you, you, you post a photo on Instagram and, and you're farming the likes. And, and what if your friend posts a slightly more sexy one and gets more likes and you think, oh, well, I can do better than that and I'll get more likes. It's that kind of an arms race which is going on and that's not good for anybody. No, no. Oh, mate, this world, this world we're in now. We're not going to change it. We need to just help. We need to just. Well, we we, we can't cha- we we can't change it. But what we can do is monitor it and provide the braking system that they don't have. Which is the basically that's the biggest point here. They people need to read the book to learn more about the brain and the chemicals of the brain. But the the fundamental message is the teenage brain doesn't have the brakes. It actually chemically. Yeah doesn't have the brakes and we need to help yep. balance that well, we need to provide them yeah. we need to provide the adult supervision in the room they don't need friends they need adults who can who can set boundaries and enforce them david i could talk to you all day thanks i'd love to even get back on here maybe one day i'm gonna yeah sure absolutely uh mate i really appreciate your time i know people this will be a bestseller i wish i was invested in it with you because it is it well you think about it every person in the world needs to listen to this now i've reached out to gary v here if anyone knows him send him this podcast because i really want to know that he's on top of this stuff because people have a People like him have a voice that can can help people. I mean, they do. They help people on a daily basis. But your information, your book, can help every single person in the world. So I think you are going to be the richest man in the world. When I get you on next time, it'll be one of those business podcasts. Tell us your story. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, I'll have your people speak to my people. <laughs> well, thanks very much, David.